My name is Fernie, and I'm the pastor here at Mid-City Church, and I want to welcome you to this episode of the Mid-City Church Sermon Cast. We're on week two of our Ruth series, or Truth series, where we're looking at different things, different truths that this book can teach us about uh, who God is and about our faith, our, our relationship with each other and with God. And, and so uh, this week is one of my favorite chapters of the book of Ruth, so I hope you are able to take something out of it, and I hope that it challenges you to uh, go out and uh, spread love and joy and grace and peace to all people all around you. You. So, you ready? Here we go. So there's this narrative about God that I hear people use all the time that is honestly really bad theology. And I have to be careful when I hear things like this because I really struggle to not be snarky or passive aggressive when I hear these things. So the narrative that I hear is that God helps people who do good and then punishes those who are bad. So let me give you an example of this kind of thinking. A couple of years ago, I had the privilege of traveling to the Holy Land with my wife, Susie. It was an amazing trip where we got to see many of the, lo uh, the locations mentioned in the Bible, and we really had an opportunity to connect some visual dots uh, there in the Bible just by being there and kind of seeing where everything was. Unfortunately, we went in January, and the temperatures are generally uh, better at that time of the year. It's not so hot. But it also means that uh, there was a lot of rain, a, a huge chance of rain, and we actually experienced quite a bit of it. Which, sure enough, uh, like I said, it rained most um, almost every day while we were there. So on our last day, we went to the old city of Jerusalem. And I say old because that's the original uh, uh, parts of Jerusalem. And we were going to walk down the Via Dolorosa, which is the path that many people believe that uh, Jesus would have taken on his way to the crucifixion. Well, we got to our location, and as our bus driver was trying to find a place uh, to park uh, so that we can get out and explore and kind of see everything, suddenly it stopped raining. And our tour guide, he, he looked at, at the clouds, saw that it was starting to clear up, and, and he looked back at us and he said, you know, God must really love us because he just stopped the rain for us. Now, most people on the bus kind of smiled and laughed about it. But I cringed as he said that because you now know that this is one of my pet peeves, right? I have a hard time with this type of theology, right? That God somehow made it stop raining for us because we were going to be there. See, I, I, um, I also told you that sometimes I can be passive aggressive when I hear this kind of um, um, theology and I can be very sarcastic. So here's what happened after he said this. We were all getting off the bus. And uh, I was one of the last people to get off the bus. And when I got off, suddenly it started raining all over again. Not too hard, but it started raining. And as everybody started pulling out their umbrellas and zipped up their rain jackets, I uttered these words. I guess God stopped loving us since the rain started again. Now, I could have sworn that I said those words in my head, but I definitely think I said them out loud because the, the, tour, the tour guide gave me this quick snarky face. Uh, clearly, he had heard my sarcasm in that. Now, can you see the dilemma with this type of theology? I mean, did the rain stop because that is the weather patterns and that's how they work? Or did the rain stop because God knew that we were about to be walking around outside and God felt sorry for us? Or maybe God favored us and, and, and provided better weather for us. 
You, you see the struggle with that theology, the dilemma that happens? Now, let's put this question towards, a, this, let's put this um, wrestling towards a deeper question. Why do some people get healed of cancer while others don't? Why do some people overcome addiction while others don't? Why do some people survive car accidents while others don't? Why are some people born into wealth while others are born into extreme poverty? Why do natural disasters like hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes hit certain areas while others seems to have, seem to have beautiful weather year round? Now, I don't know about you, but I would have a really hard time. I would have a really hard time following and worshiping a God who chooses to help some people, but not others. I would have a really hard time worshiping a God who picks favorites, right? You're my favorite because you're good. You're not my favorite because you're bad. And I would especially have a hard time worshiping a God who causes pain and disruption in our lives in order to teach the wicked a lesson or to punish them. You see, it's easy to think this way, that, that God does uh, these things when things are going well for us. But when we're on the wrong side of things, when we're on the receiving end of uh, difficulty and trials and sadness and struggles, when we're the ones that are being affected, this way of thinking leaves us with a God who chooses to cause pain in our lives for the sake of teaching us some sort of lesson or making some point. And I don't know about you, but I just can't get behind a God that works that way. I do not believe that God uh, causes pain in our life as a form of punishment or that God makes certain things happen as a reward for being good. This is just not the way God works. Now, I'm not saying that pain and suffering don't exist. They absolutely do. Stuff, bad stuff happens all the time. Just look at the news. Look at your Facebook feed. Look at uh, the world around you. Bad stuff happens all the time. But God is not the source of that pain and that, that suffering. Let me say that again. God is not the source of that pain and that suffering. So if that's the case, the question we're left with is if God doesn't cause pain and suffering to those who are bad and joy and success to those who are good, then what causes good and bad things to happen? So the reality is that most uh, of what happens day to day good and bad. Most of the things that happen are either a result of human decisions or natural human progression. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. When someone dies after being hit by a drunk driver, the drunk driver made the bad decision of getting drunk and then uh, getting in a car and driving when they really shouldn't have. A human decision was made that led to something bad. Now, let me give you another example. Lately on TV, I've been seeing a commercial run over and over and over again from a law firm seeking to get compensation for people if at any point their job made them work with asbestos and then developed cancer. Now, to be fair, at the time, no one knew that asbestos could cause cancer or so many other health problems. In fact, asbestos was used for almost everything. Asbestos has been used for wall insulation. It's been used in paint. It's been used in stuff like crayons and makeup and appliances and hair dryers and ashtrays. Even the snow in the movie White Christmas was asbestos. Now, now that we know what, uh, more about asbestos, though, we know that it can cause many types of cancers and so many other health problems. So, so let me say this. God didn't make people and organizations use asbestos so that years later, God, later, God could teach people a lesson or punish them through their illness, like cancer and other forms of sickness. 
The reality is that a choice was made to use this product, to use asbestos, trusting that if it was safe to use um, that, and that it wouldn't harm people. But we only came to find out that it actually caused quite a bit of harm for people. You see, perhaps it was an unintentional choice, but it was still a choice that was made. So, so that's what I mean when I say that uh, something, sometimes good things and bad things happen as a result of human decision. Now, we have to be careful with this type of, of language, though, because this way of thinking doesn't necessarily apply to every situation. So let me give you an example of this. To the couple who was just told that they had a miscarriage, they didn't choose that scenario, right? Which means that in this case, it wasn't a, a human decision. It was natural human progression. See, for some reason, her body simply wasn't able to support that child or, or something just happened, but it was not a punishment or God's will that this happened. It's just natural human progression. Let me give you another example. To the family whose loved one died of a heart attack, the grieving and the pain was not caused by God as a punishment or lesson. The heart attack is simply a natural human progression. Stuff like this happens. Now, you could argue that maybe the person didn't take care of their health, but I'll tell you, I know some very active and fit people who have had heart attacks. See, no matter how much you take care of yourself, our hearts sometimes just give out. See, I think that if we look at things in this world, good and bad, they either happen as a result of human choice, right? Somebody somewhere along the line made a decision that affected others, or it's just part of this natural human progression. It's just what happens. It's science. Our, our, our bodies are, 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 you know, the earth, the way the earth works, the way this, everything. It can be natural human progression. So let me ask this question again. If God doesn't cause the good and the bad stuff, the joy and the suffering, then where is God in all of this? Reverend Adam Hamilton says that in these situations, God is the single most important source of comfort and hope. And honestly, I don't think truer words have ever been spoken. Just think about it. After any sort of suffering, whether it be a natural disaster or war or an automobile accident or any other type of suffering, while God did not cause those things to happen, God is always present through those who show up to uh, give help and support. First responders, good Samaritans, people who go on mission trips to provide help. God is always present in the midst of suffering through all of the people who help and support in the face of that suffering. God is intervening in the midst, in the midst of these difficult uh, situations through the people that show up to help. And the same is true when it comes to the opposite, when it comes to joy and celebrations. God is always present through all the people who are there helping you experience this joy and celebrate with you and rejoice with you. And the reality is that while God doesn't cause good or bad things to happen, God does promise to always be there, especially when we need him most. So what does all of this have to do with the book of Ruth? So in chapter two of Ruth, something really interesting happens where we're forced to wrestle with whether or not God caused something to happen or if it just happened due to human choice and natural human progression. So take a listen to the, this scripture and see what you think. Now, Naomi had a respected relative, a man of worth through her husband from the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field so that I may glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose eyes I might find favor. Naomi replied to her, go, my daughter. So she went. She arrived and she gleaned in the field behind the harvesters. 
By chance, it happened to be the portion of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was from the family of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. He said to the harvesters, May the Lord be with you. And they said, May the Lord bless you. Now, Boaz said to his young man, the one who was overseeing the harvesters, To whom does this young woman belong? The young man who was overseeing the harvesters answered, She's a young Moabite woman, the one who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She said, Please let me glean so that I might uh, gather up grain from among the bundles behind the harvesters. She arrived and has been on her feet from the morning until now and has sat down for only a moment. Boaz said to Ruth, Haven't you understood, my daughter? Don't go glean in another field. Don't go anywhere else. Instead, stay here with my young women. Keep your eyes on the field that they are harvesting and go along after them. I've ordered the young men not to assault you. Whenever you are thirsty, go to the jugs and drink from what the young men have filled. Then she bowed down, face to the ground, and replied to him, How is it that I have found favor in your eyes, that you notice me, an immigrant? Boaz responded to her, Everything that you did for your mother-in-law after your husband's death has been reported fully to me. How you left behind your father, for, uh, your mother, and the land of your birth, and came to a people you hadn't known beforehand. May the Lord reward you with, uh, for your deed. May you receive a rich reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to seek refuge. She said, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, sir, because you've comforted me and because you've spoken kindly to your female servant, even though I'm not one of your female servants. Now at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, eat some of the bread, and dip your piece in the vinegar. She sat alongside the harvesters, and he served roasted grain to her. She ate, was satisfied, and had leftovers. Then she got up to glean. And Boaz ordered his young men, Let her glean between the bundles and don't humiliate her. Also, pull out some from the bales for her and leave them behind for her to glean, and don't scold her. So she gleaned the field until evening. Then she threshed what she had gleaned. It was about an epath of barley. And she picked it up and went into town, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out what she had left over after eating her fill and gave it to her. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? May the one who noticed you be blessed. She told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi replied to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord who hasn't abandoned his faithfulness with the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, The man is one of our close relatives. He's one of our redeemers. Ruth the Moabite replied, Furthermore, he said to me, Stay with my workers until they finished all of my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It's good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman, uh, with his young woman, so that men don't assault you in another field. Thus she stayed with Boaz's young women, gleaning until the completion of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So that's a long scripture. But uh, just in case you don't remember, let me kind of catch you up where we're at. So Ruth and Naomi, um, they were in Moab, and they had husbands. Um, Ruth married Naomi's son, and they had to leave there because Naomi's husband and Ruth's husband both died. And now there was a famine in Moab, right? So they returned to Bethlehem with hope of life maybe getting better for them. Then one day, Ruth asked her mother-in-law, Naomi, if she could go and glean for food. And Naomi tells her to go ahead and go. 
Now, if you don't know what gleaning is, it was basically the food pantry for widows, orphans, foreigners, and uh, the poor. So when, when basically what happened is when workers would go out into the fields to collect crops, they would intentionally leave some of them behind, some of the, uh, some of the crops behind, so that those who were in need could come and pick the crops for themselves. So uh, that's what Ruth is asking to do, right? She wants to go to a field and get the leftovers, get the stuff that was left behind for the people who needed food, because her and Naomi needed food. Now, here's where the story gets interesting. As Ruth is arriving to uh, to this field to glean, Scripture tells us this. It says, by chance, by chance, she arrived at the field that belonged to Boaz, who was from the family of her late father-in-law, Elimelech. And that also just so happened that around the time, around the same time, Boaz, the owner of the field, also arrived. Now, let me ask you. Is it because Ruth arrives at Boaz's field that she's able to return home with more than enough food and their look starts to change? Or was God rewarding Ruth for her faithfulness to Naomi? Or, or was this just a lucky coincidence where Boaz chose to be generous and provide food for this girl? Which, which of these do you think it is? Now look, based on everything we've already talked about, I don't think that God caused Ruth and Naomi's husbands to die so that all of this could unfold and take place, so that God could teach them a lesson through all this, or maybe even punish them through their wrongdoing. That is not who God is. We've established that. I, I also don't believe that God was rewarding Ruth for her faithfulness to her mother-in-law, Naomi. No matter which way you look at it, God was not the direct cause that is unfolding before Ruth and Naomi, a uh, direct cause of this story. In the end, I believe that it really was happenstance, a result of multiple human choices and the natural human progression. In other words, when Ruth got hungry, right, which is a natural human progression, she made the choice to uh, do whatever was necessary to find food. And that choice led her to uh, go to this field that happened to belong to Boaz. See, it was happenstance that all of this happened. But it was a type of happenstance where every role that every person involved took part of resulted in the story that unfolded, right? Everybody had to make choices that resulted in what happened in this story. Now, here's where God fits into all of this. Boaz's understanding of who God is led him to be generous with those in need, especially with people like Ruth and Naomi. Ruth's trust in God led her to be willing to leave everything behind and go to Bethlehem with Naomi. Naomi's understanding that God cares about all people led her to accept a foreigner like Ruth into her own family and extend love and, and everything else that Ruth needed. God was present through the women in the field who welcomed Ruth and helped protect her. See, if we pay close attention, we realize that even though God is not the puppet master causing good and bad things to happen to every person in this story— God is very much present through all of the people who helped by providing hope and support to others. So here's my challenge for you, and it's a twofold challenge. First, are there places in your life where you feel like God is micromanaging the situation? If you do, then I want you to put that way of thinking aside, and instead I want you to reframe your mindset to uh, how is God present and through whom is God present in the situation, right? So instead of thinking God is causing pain and God is causing sorrow and God is causing good things and God is causing joy, to begin thinking how is God present in the midst of these situations and in the midst of what's happening to me? So making this simple shift can make a huge difference. 
Now, the second part of my challenge is that you may allow your life to become a vessel through which God is present in others' lives, especially in others' suffering and pain. See, we have to learn to love others and care for others and support others and lift others up because when we do that, God is present for others through us. And look, I'm convinced that if we can do these two things, if we can stop blaming God for our situations, and if we can allow our, our lives to be a vessels for God to be present for others, then I truly believe that, that, that the world will also experience the kind of joy and hope that Ruth received that day as she found comfort, support, joy, food, and so much more in that difficult circumstance. See, because of uh, these choices that they made and because everybody was allowed, was willing to, uh, for God to be a vessel through them, these people uh, found exactly what they were needing. And for Ruth and Naomi, their lives completely turned upside down in a good way. Things started to become better. And we have the ability to allow that to happen in our lives and to make it possible in the lives of others as well. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Mid-City Church Sermon Cast. If you'd like to dive deeper, visit midcity.church slash sermoncast to find a home sheet that goes along with this message. On the home sheet, you'll find scriptures, questions to wrestle with, and a challenge that goes along with this sermon cast. I want to invite you to support our ministry here at Mid-City Church by giving today. To give, text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to the phone number 225-307-0662. Thanks and see you next week.